Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast as you... Eyes on Big Savvy listeners can tell we probably sound a little bit different. That's because we are recording via Zoom. And whenever we record via Zoom, or typically that means we have a special guest on. And by gosh, we do have a special guest on tonight. We've got Ryan Burns, Minnesota publisher for the 24-7 Sports. Also a Heisman voter. We got another Heisman voter on. I mean, pretty much at this point, Kurt, we just shouldn't allow anybody on as a guest unless they're a Heisman voter. I think we've reached that status. Does that count for us? Do we not record <laughs> anymore if we don't have a Heisman guest on? We're we're uh, we, we only get we're on limited time. We got to get our butts moving here. But Ryan, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on here. I know that uh, a lot of my listeners on the Go for Gridiron Radio podcast love you guys as well. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about Gophers, a little bit about Iowa, a little bit about Big Ten football with you guys. Fantastic. Uh, you want to go set it up a little bit on, on how people can follow you and get a little bit more of your content? Sure. Yeah. If you want to follow me on the Twitter machine, I'm at Ryan Burns MN, as in the initials of Minnesota. If you want to read me, just type into your Google machine, uh, Minnesota 24-7. You can find me there. And if you want to get some of the podcast listening glory, you go to Go for Gridiron Radio on your podcasting app, and you can listen to this face that was made for radio, as both you two can attest. Hey, I tell you one thing, you, you got a, you got a head of hair that at least a couple <laughs> are uh, jealous of. So you got that going for you. It's Ryan day. Like it really is. It's a lot, but as long as my better half likes it, which she does, this is what my hair is going to be looking like here for the foreseeable future. I would hold on to that as long as you can. So yeah, let's get into it. Uh, speaking of the aforementioned gopher gridiron radio, the uh, podcast uh, was Sent to me by uh, one of my friends and one of our uh, uh, podcast followers, Danimal, a big Gopher fan. And uh, he, he just kind of said, hey, Greek, uh, give this podcast a listen and, and tell me what you think. Go ahead and, and skip to the 20-minute mark. Now, I didn't skip to the 20-minute mark. I heard the first intro when you guys were talking about expansion. We'll save that for another pod. But the from minutes 20 to about 30 ish or so uh it was a a healthy conversation on iowa football and as people know um the iowa football program is something that's near and dear to my heart uh so yeah i've got a couple points of contention as they say you want to kind of get into it a little bit yeah absolutely again i'm i love because again i'm guessing you you are high on iowa or at least higher on iowa than i am so yeah let's see where we differ so, I mean, I think people listen to podcasts realize that I, I, I like to think, maybe Kurt can agree or disagree, but I, I think I keep things pretty even keel uh, towards my Hawkeyes. It's tough. You know, it's, it's again, like it's the number one sports program in, in my life. Um, but yeah, maybe I err a little bit higher at times. Um, it was more just some of the points of contention uh, that you, it's mostly you and Daniel House. Um, I know Luke was on the podcast too. He was kind of more just setting you guys up so you could take shots at the, at, the, at my Hawkeyes. Uh, but I'll, I'll get right into the first one, which was 
essentially we were talking about the over under win total that Vegas has got set for Iowa at 8.5. We haven't recorded the Iowa podcast, so I haven't even made my official uh, uh, prediction or curtain I have on whether we think it'll go over or under. Um, But here's, here's a quote from yours truly Ryan Burns right on the podcast. Oh boy. I hate it. I don't understand it again. Maybe Iowa is the Iowa that we see, but I don't get it. So I'll just stop right there. I guess I'm confused on maybe the Iowa, Iowa is the Iowa we see. Well, if that's the Iowa we see, then shouldn't they flirt with nine wins? (laughs) All right. So let's start with the schedule, which I think is pretty daunting for this Iowa team, because I think the first three games of the year are a really good test. You're going to have likely a ranked Indiana team coming to Iowa city. You're going to go on the road to a likely a ranked Iowa state team. And I think Kent state's pretty good. Now, again, have you, do you know anything about Kent state? Uh, yes, I do. They've got a really good quarterback and a high powered offense. I yeah. also know that Phil Steele has, and I know every prognosticator, they've got their own process and everything like that, but I will at least say to Phil Steele, nobody puts more time into it to try to research these teams like him. Um, I, I feel like I know the big 10 teams maybe as well as Phil, Phil, but down to the you know 130th team in the country, I certainly don't. So he has Kent State ranked 96th, okay, 96th in the country, all right? Do you know what team Kent State is ranked higher than for Big Ten teams? Oh, it has to be – who's a ter- – Rutgers? No, Rutgers is going to be pretty decent. Boy. It's a trick question. No Big Ten team is ranked lower than Kent okay. State. The closest team is ranked 87th. So essentially what you were alluding to in that podcast is Mm -hmm. that Iowa better get ready because they might lose to a team that's worse than any team in the Big Ten. Oh, stop. I'm more concerned about your first two games. And that's where, again, Iowa State hasn't been able to get over the hump against Iowa. Certainly. I mean, I think you would know that. I would know that. But I think on paper, this should be the year in Ames where this happens potentially. Now, again, You also have what I think is a 50-50 game when Indiana comes to town to kick it off. But again, I'm not going to – you can have the Kent State thing. I just think they got a pretty good offense. Now, you obviously have a good back seven. Iowa's defense historically pretty good. But it's the rest of the schedule. I mean, you got Penn State coming to town. Road games against Wisconsin and Northwestern. I'm not particularly high on Nebraska, but crazy things happen in Nebraska from time to time in late November, early December. Plus, you've got Minnesota there after two road games against Wisconsin and Northwestern. And then I look at the offense as a whole. I don't think Spencer Petrus is anything to write home about. I was kind of surprised that he kind of garnished or garnered, I should say, all conference honorable mention. And I look at the passing game as a whole and you lose Smith Marset, you lose Brandon Smith, you lose Sean Bayer. And it's like, who are they going to throw the ball to? Now, I understand that Tyrone Tracy, everybody in Iowa loves him. Like, I think he's going to be a good player. I just don't know if he realizes that wide receiver one potential in 2021. And then, yes, you have Sam Laporta. But, like, when you look at this receiving core, like, Nico Regani 
And what, I mean, I understand you got some four-star receivers coming in, but they're also true freshmen. And it's tough to kind of expect a lot from true freshmen. And so I just have personally a ton of questions about this passing game, because if you're going to beat that eight and a half total and go nine and three, you're going to have to have something resembling a passing game. All right. So a lot to unpack there. Ryan Burns, Heisman voter. Uh, yeah. But let, we went from schedule all the way to personnel. Okay, so let's go back to schedule for a second. Sure. Um, Phil Steele has us 18th in the country for schedule. It's definitely a tough schedule. So you're not going to get any argument there from me. Okay. Um, but one thing I'd like to point out is we're favored over Indiana. Okay. We're favored by four and a half points to start the year. So as of right now, Vegas says, I will win that game in Kinnick. We still don't know. The health of Michael Penix Jr., um, I think you can at least admit that Kinnick's a tough place to play, seeing as how I was still playing the sport of football in the Big Ten the last time Minnesota won in Kinnick. Cheap shot there, sorry, but I went for it. Um, So as of right now, the first two games, Iowa is uh, predicted to win versus Indiana and lose versus Iowa State right now. Uh, put that against Minnesota's first two games, uh, Ohio State and Miami of Ohio, which they are predicted to win one of those games and lose one of those games. And the game that you probably are going to lose, you're a monster underdog. So what I'm looking at is there's a very good chance that Iowa and Minnesota both start the year at one and one. Okay. Then you look at the next game for Iowa is Kent State. Okay, I, I, anything can happen. It's college football, but Iowa's going to be a pretty large favorite to win in Kinnick versus Kent State. Minnesota goes on the road at Colorado, okay? Right now, my guess is that line is either Colorado slight favor or Minnesota slight favor. Point being is that is going to be a game right on the line. What I'm saying is I think there's a very good chance I was going to start two and one and Minnesota probably two and one as well, but one and two is in play. So for all that talk on the first two or three games of the year, I don't see that big of a difference between the two teams. I mean, you say Minnesota could be one and two. I could, I could tell you right now, what if you lose is, I mean, four point favorites is nothing. So what it's a 55, 60, 40. I mean, I think there's also a realistic chance. I was 0-2 to start. I mean, I think, yeah, is there a plausible scenario where Minnesota's 1-2? Certainly. Is there a plausible scenario where Iowa's 1-2? Yeah. I mean. There's a plausible scenario that Iowa wins the game they're favored in and then beats Matt Campbell for the fifth time in a row because he has never beaten the old man. It starts the year 3-0. I mean, we got to enter that possibility in there as well, don't we? I mean, sure. And hey. Who says Minnesota can't figure it out against a brand new quarterback and a brand new defense? Like, do I anticipate that happening against Ohio State? Probably not. But like, I I mean, for you saying Minnesota could go one and two, yeah. I mean, Ohio State, and then I I think that whole Colorado. I mean, I, I don't that line, like you said, is probably going to come out as a pick 'em or a slight favor for either team. I I just. I don't see Minnesota. I think Minnesota wins that game because I think Big Ten rough and tumble, which is what this Minnesota offense is going to be against Pac-12 defenses. I've seen that play before, and I know how it goes. So, now, I'm not, so for the record, I'm not predicting that Minnesota is going to beat 
get going to get beat by Colorado. My point I'm trying to make with that little exercise there is yeah. much has been made about Iowa's first two games versus Indiana and Iowa State. They're two tough teams. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's as much of a, as big of a difference between uh, Iowa's September and Minnesota's September as what you, as what you've made it out to be because the next game for Iowa and Minnesota, I mean, they're both horrible Mac teams. So I, I feel like both teams, I, I believe the team that plays better versus their schedule is going to come out with a better record. It's not going to be strictly because of the record. Okay. Um, well, it is. I was got an eight and a half win total. Minnesota's got a seven. So my point being with that, you have a, or Iowa has a much lesser margin for error compared to what Minnesota has, according to the Vegas lines. And so that's kind of the point of, I'm trying to make to you is if you slip up or Iowa slips up here in, in September and, and loses two games, which I think is plausible. If they lose one of those first two games or they lose both again, I don't think that's without of the realm of possibilities. You know, you get into that October and again, it doesn't look incredibly daunting on paper, but that's where you've already got your two losses and Vegas is only allocating you essentially three. If you're going to hit the over on that eight and a half. And what I'm saying is I was probably going to pick up two wins out of conference with the lesser opponents. Mm -hmm. Um, So if they, even if they go and two in the other two, they lose to Indiana and Iowa state that sits them at two and two. With Minnesota, I think they're going to pick up wins versus Miami of Ohio and Bowling Green. I think they're going to lose versus Ohio State. So essentially what this comes down to is how confident are you that Minnesota goes out to Colorado and wins? I think it's a coin flip. So we're literally like a coin flip away from Minnesota being two and two in that aspect as well. Then going on to the rest of the conference, we get Indiana, you get Indiana, we get Indiana at home. You get Indiana on the road sandwiched between Iowa and Wisconsin. That is even tougher. And there's a better chance that Michael Penix Jr. is going to be healthier later in the year than he would be versus Iowa. I think your Indiana game is tougher than ours. Um, Another one is you pointed out we play Northwestern on the road. Minnesota Mm -hmm. plays Northwestern on the road. You get Wisconsin uh, at home, we get them on the road, but we get Minnesota at home and you get Iowa on the road. And to me, if you simply talking about the seven to eight and a half, if you simply flip flop that game, it goes from Kinnick to the new bank up in Minnesota, you probably drop Iowa's win total down by a half and Minnesota's up by a half. My guess is Iowa's would be at eight and Minnesota's would be at 7.5, but that's the big difference that you have with Minnesota having going on the road to play Kinnick. That's where you get the eight and a half compared to the seven. Well, again, let's look at this whole, where could the three losses come? I already mentioned Indiana and Iowa State for Iowa. You got Penn State, which is likely going to be a top-ranked team coming into your place. Um, You have Wisconsin on the road, Northwestern on the road, Nebraska on the road. And I think that Minnesota game is probably going to be a point of contention for us because, yes, I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm well aware P.J. Fleck is 0-4 against Kirk Ferentz. I'm well aware Minnesota hasn't won in, in Kinnick Stadium since 1999. But I also look at the schedule and I look at where that Minnesota game is for Iowa. You've had two tough road games against Wisconsin and Northwestern. And you're going to be beat up because those are two tough defenses. Or you look at Minnesota's schedule compared to that. 
I mean, it, it's not as daunting as what it is for Iowa. And yes, the final three games for Minnesota are brutal. You have on the road at Iowa, on the road at, at Indiana, and then you face Wisconsin at home. Very likely scenario. In, well, in this scenario for you, Iowa's ranked, Indiana's probably ranked, and Wisconsin's probably ranked. Yes. But that's where, again, I mean, we talk about Wisconsin, Northwestern, and Nebraska all being road games. You have Iowa State being a road game, Indiana, and then Minnesota. I mean, that's six potential losses I could see. I mean, again, who I don't see you guys losing to Maryland. Minnesota shouldn't even lost to Maryland last year, but they blew a three-score fourth-quarter lead because trestle ball, and, and I'm going to go off on a tangent about that, so I'll get back on track. But, like, there are more paths for Minnesota to, I think, eclipse that seven number and get to eight when you look at their schedule compared to Iowa having to really figure it out. And again, we'll get into personnel here in a second, but like those are six potential games, including four on the road. And then you have two home games, you know, three home games. I could see, you know, Indiana, Penn state and Minnesota, where again, I, I think it's plausible. I think it's more plausible than what you think that Iowa just dips under that eight and a half number. Because again, in my mind, when we get to personnel, I still think there's a lot of things that have to happen for Iowa to hit that, especially offensively. On your podcast, you said, I look at all of these reasons. I just don't see nine wins. In fact, I don't see seven wins. <laughs> you know, I probably, I would probably recant that. And I do recant that. Okay. Because trying to predict when Kirk Ferentz is going to have, again, for me, it's every t- it feels like every time I was supposed to be good, they're not. And every time they're not supposed to be good, they are. Now, they're supposed to be good this year. So, in theory, if you believe the Kirk Barron cyclical thing there, they're not going to be as good. But, like, again, I'm, we look at the schedule and we discuss it. And I just think that, and again, I can see Indiana. I can see Iowa State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Northwestern. I mean, maybe this is the year Scott Frost isn't, you know, it isn't National Scott Frost Day on May 7th. You know, maybe it's the year. I have no idea. But or maybe this is the year Minnesota finally ends the 22 years in connect because Lord knows I hear that every day. But I just think that I, I look at this team and, yeah, the schedule's tough. But why the schedule's tough is, I mean, I look at the offense and I'm just like. Okay. So let me let me up? let me jump in there a little bit. Um, many Iowa fans, um, I would be one of them, are on the fence with Spencer Petras. So I'm not going to debate you too hard on that. And obviously that's, you know, the most important position on any football team. What I would say is that I've heard a lot of Minnesota fans. In fact, I think Kurt and I have talked about it and we'll talk about it uh, when we break down Minnesota on our team preview podcast. This, the Tanner Morgan we saw last year obviously was a gigantic step down from the Tanner Morgan the year before. Um, why was that? I think it was because uh, a big change in personnel um, and, uh, you know, Bateman, Agent Zero was in, he was out, then he was back in. I, I firmly believe that Minnesota had uh, the screws put to him by the university as hard or harder than anybody, and they didn't get practice time. And because of that, Tanner Morgan suffered for a good chunk of the year. It's just that I would apply a lot of that stuff to Spencer Petras when he got screwed out of a spring and then fall camp and he was coming into his own to be a first time starter. We saw that across the board with almost any team that had a first year starter at quarterback. They struggled last year because the practice time was cut so bad. 
throughout the year, Petrus got better. Um, he finished with a good touchdown to interception ratio. And oh, by the way, he went six and two as a starter. Like that's uh, what your quarterback wins to me is not a stat. Your that is not a stat to me. And seven touchdowns to five interceptions was his touchdown interception ratio, right? I'm talking the last two games. He was five and oh. Five touchdowns to zero picks. That's what I just talked about. He got right. better by the end of the year. And three of those picks came against Northwestern. I, again, I can, I mean, the Tanner Morgan thing, yeah. I mean, trust me, it's the it's the one of the biggest keys for Minnesota season. Is it going to be 2019 Tanner Morgan, where he could find the deep ball, he could read the RPO, he could make on-time throws? Or is it going to be 2020 Tanner Morgan, who was a step slow, was thinking way too much, now, again, you mentioned it. I mean, Minnesota lost their offensive coordinator to Penn State, Kirk Scirocco, who then got fired after the 2020 season. Um, and that's where Mike Sanford comes in, gets three spring practices with a, a unit he has no idea about, and then everything gets canceled. He gets no time in the spring, no time in the summer, and three weeks in fall camp. And he doesn't know what Tanner Morgan does well. And I think Tanner Morgan suffered because of it. Now, you also mentioned Tyler Johnson not being there, Rashad Bateman being out, then in, then out. I think that certainly played a part too. I just think that we've seen Tanner Morgan, like if you want to compare the quarterbacks, we've seen Tanner Morgan be good before. We've also seen Tanner Morgan be below average before. I think we've seen Spencer Petrus be, I would, I mean, I would say below average, but again, so to kind of compare the two, I mean, which one do I think is more likely to take the next step in terms of which one is going to elevate the play? And I would say Tanner Morgan, just because I look at the passing game targets for Iowa. And like I mentioned, no more Amir Smith-Marset, no more Brandon Smith, Sean Bayer's gone. And yes, you have Tyrone Tracy. Yes, yeah, I mean, you had some four stars coming in there, but I mean, is Sam Laporta going to do everything? Because I don't think there's yes. another. That's what Iowa tight ends do. So now we're getting more deeper into personnel. One of the craziest takes on the entire podcast it is talking about how the Iowa offensive line is going to be a weakness on the team. That is I definitely think they are that that is, I don't know what else to say, but that's a bananas take. Okay. First of all, pro football focus, this isn't the big 10. This is in the entire country. They have our center number one and our guard number seven. You're starting out with two guys right there in the interior. Now, let me finish with this. Two guys in the interior right there that are as high ranked as you could probably get for two guys on one offensive line. The other guard on the other side has got 24, 25 starts, is a very solid guard that can also slide out and play tackle. He's played multiple positions while he's at Iowa. Right now, it's projected that he's going to play guard. So that's guard, center, guard. Now, the tackles we will get to, okay? Iowa's zone running scheme is predicated mostly on the interior line, okay? Put on the game film last year, Iowa versus Minnesota. It's our guard and center that are driving that front seven down the field to the point where Tyler Goodson, who if I'm going to bring another thing up on the podcast, when you guys are talking about Iowa personnel, 
you were at least nice enough to give Tyler Goodson a mention. Like, yeah, they got Tyler Goodson, and then you moved on. Oh, yeah, we got Tyler Goodson. He's the other first-team Big Ten running back that's on the teams we're talking about. Like, he wasn't the Big Ten running back player of the year, but that's a pretty good place to start when you've got a first-team All-American center, a possible first-team All-Big Ten guard, a stalwart guard, an All-Big Ten running back, and then right now our left tackle, Jack Plum, is a guy that started two games last year and played quite a bit over the last two years. He's not completely green. He's a fourth-year junior starting at left tackle. And we've got guys, too, and I don't know if you've heard this, but Kirk Ferentz is pretty good at developing offensive linemen, a lot of times even developing offensive linemen that nobody's heard of, okay? They wind up being pretty good. For the life of me, of all the things to pick apart on the Iowa football team for 2021, the offensive line being something that you guys spent so much time on that podcast, I I don't get it. Well, if according to you, I think we should cancel the season, give all the Iowa offensive linemen first team all-conference because, look, Tyler Lindebaum is incredible. I'm not disputing that. But, like, the whole Jack Plum take I don't get. Jack Plum, you, you know, we were messaging – you know, Jack Plum has played a lot. He played like a third of the snaps last year. He started yeah. two games. Yeah. Rotated he rotated in. A third of the offensive snaps last year, and he was PFF's worst pass blocking grade on the entire offensive line. Like, that's fine. Again, again, you look at like, again, you have Cody NC there, all-conference honorable mention, Kyler Schott, all-conference honorable mention. But like, your that's, tackle. Three, that's three guys now. That's three guys that we have taught. One is is first team all American. The other two are like, like I, Minnesota uh, had six guys on the offensive line that were all conference or all conference all mentioned. Which is like, why I'm not going to pick apart Minnesota's offensive line as a weakness. My point thing, I don't think it means that much. I, truthfully, I mean, all conference honorable mention to me, like okay. I am concerned about the tackles. I'm not concerned about the interior. Now, you can talk to me about the running scheme and, and, and Tyler. Uh, Tyler Goodson's a really good football player. We, we, you know, we can agree on that. I think the center's good. I think the guards can be pretty good. Okay? The tackle situation, yes, you have Jack Plum, who's played a third of the snaps last year. Okay? He was the worst, plat, the worst pass blocking grade of the bunch with a below average score of 55.4. But who plays the other tackle spot? We got, uh, well, we've got, first of all, we've got two years now of four-star recruits that are coming in. You could okay. make an argument, nobody has recruited better along the offensive line, not just in the Big Ten West, but in the entire Big Ten. So we've got talent coming in. Nick DeJong and uh, uh, Connor Colby are well thought of by the coaches. And yeah, you're just tossing away Jack Plum, uh, a fourth-year junior, like he's a carcass. There is a such thing because you're talking about him as the next Tristan Wirfs. No, and I'm, I'm not. No, no, I'm not. I have not said that one time. I'm trying to defend him with you throwing him on the scrap heap that he's the, the worst tackle in the, in the Big Ten. I never said that either. I think you counting on him as an asset is something that I'm not counting on right now because we haven't seen him play like an asset, especially in pass protection. And I also think we haven't even talked about. Your offensive line coach of multi-years at Iowa and Tim Polisek is gone. And you, we're just going to – so a brand-new position coach doesn't mean anything to you on, all, on offensive line. 
does it mean something to me? Sure. I mean, every time you have a switch in, in the leadership in the position room, it's going to make a difference. It's just that I think you have literally the guru of offensive line that, of the entire country. Like people would point to Kirk Ferentz, the way he was vetted. I know that how he was vetted for that job, he's going to be prepared Many Iowa fans think that there could be an upgrade over Polisek. Polisek wasn't there for 18 years. He was there for four, I think. And I like what Polisek did. Don't get me wrong. We've got a lot of offensive line knowledge in that football complex. And, and we're going to be fine. Again, pick six previews, uh, uh, Lindy's, Athlon, uh, Phil Steele. I can't find one magazine that has Iowa's offensive line ranked any worse than fourth in the entire Big Ten, okay? And this is your bone of contention on why the offense is not going to – do I think there could be some issues? The be good is because I don't think you're going to be able to move the ball in the passing game. Okay, let's talk about the passing game. Um, so I, right, I, if the tackles aren't – again, I know you're not a big Alaric Jackson guy, but what happens if the speed rushers or the edge rushers of the Big Ten – I think Indiana's got a pretty good defense, Wisconsin, Northwestern. Um, I think Iowa State's highly thought of there, too, as well. Like, What happens if, you know, instead of the tight ends releasing every time to hopefully be an asset in the passing game, they got to stay in and chip because the tackles are struggling for the edge pressure? Like, that's my thing is I think your passing game is going to need an extra second to get open. When have you seen – when have, as anybody on this podcast seen – an Iowa offensive line that is going to struggle and pass pro to the degree that you are talking about. Right. We'll talk about the t- you keep bringing back in the interior. Yes. I understand the offensive line is a collective unit of five people, but like, I don't, I just cannot right now, as we sit here in time in early August, assume that Jack Plum is going to be an all conference type of tackle when he hasn't been so far. And then say it's Nick DeYoung or Nick DeJong there. And he's very green there as well. Just to assume that because of the system, they're going to be put in there and everything's going to be fine with an average to below average quarterback. And what I think is below average passing game weapons, I don't, I just don't agree with. If you're if you're trying to get me on record to say that Iowa is going to have this extremely explosive offense downfield passing game where they're going to average 42 points a game and most of it's coming through the air. No, that's not what Iowa does. Iowa plays complimentary football. I think we're going to run the ball very well uh i think we're going to pass protect much better than you think and we're going to hit some plays the good news is that if there are games where the offense doesn't put points on the board we can switch to the other side the defense iowa is i'm not allowed apparently to to assume that our left and right tackles will wind up being even serviceable but you and a lot of in michael house and a lot of about them you're assuming that they're going to be all conference guys to me no no, i'm not i have i have not said that one time i i think at the worst they're going to be average that's what i'm trying to say and i think if given enough time they'll be above average tackles i never said once they're going to be all big 10 tackles they're brand new starters this is a very strong conference for offensive line i think they're going to show out really well the point i'm trying to transition this to is we haven't seen hardly any of these players that Minnesota is now counting on to be their new front seven. 
But you now can say all of these people that that are the tackles that Iowa are, have are unproven and haven't seen, but all of these new faces and new places in the front seven for Minnesota, and you could go into the secondary a little bit too. Now you guys have the ability to project into the future and what you're reading and what you're hearing from the practice field to say that this is going to be a vastly improved front seven. I will say this. I don't think it could get any worse than it did the last three, the first three, four games of the year last year. So I expect it to be vastly improved, but why is it that you can use projections and things you've read to talk about how much better your front seven is going to be when Iowa can't use it for their tackles? Want a hot take that I'll go on record about? Okay. I think Minnesota's D line in 21 is better than Iowa's. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Look, I mean, you talk about guys like like Niles Pinkney, Minnesota brings in. I mean, he's not jumped some Joe Schmo. Played 1,200 snaps at this little school on the East Coast called Clemson. It was all ACC. I mean, yeah, he, he didn't have the 20 season he wanted, so he came to Minnesota. Like, Boye Mafe is someone on the edge, leads the team in tackles for loss and sacks last year. He was bad against the run, and he has a high ceiling against the pass where I think he could, like, if you want another hot take, I think Boye Mafe is a top 100 pick in the next NFL draft. Yes, sir, right, he's down. Okay. He's 262 pounds with a 40-inch vertical, and I think he's going to kill the combine. Now, does he have to play better? Sure. But, like, I look at the D-line. He just has to play better. And the against the run, which is what Iowa and Wisconsin do the best to always be the top one or two teams in the division and put on the game film from last year, our offensive line mauled Boye Mafe and everybody else that they put in front of them because not being stout against the run might not be a big deal in some other conferences in the big 10, the big 10 West. It's a gigantic deal. And what we're expecting is that all of a sudden in his fourth or fifth year, Boye Mafe is going to turn on the light. Niles Pinckney. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, I do think Minnesota's defensive line is going to be improved. The point I'm trying to make is the leap that you are willing to make on how vastly improved Minnesota's front seven is going to be. I have not seen it. You haven't seen it. Big Kurt has. Nobody's seen it. Can we at least get into September 1st before I, we, we start uh, labeling the, one of the greatest front sevens in the Big Ten in 2021? Where is this front – like Minnesota's defense was horrible. Okay. Where have I said we're going to be a top 25 defense? Their linebackers were terrible. But I think the defensive line – which is going to be comprised of fourth, fifth, and sixth, and even a seventh-year guy, all guys who have played football, when you want to contrast it to Iowa's, you have Van Valkenburg, and then what? Because you don't have Davion Nixon anymore. You don't have Chauncey Golston. Jack and uh, the Jack Heflin kid's gone. And I look at the two deep, and I'm like, yeah, Van Valkenburg. And then Noah Shannon, who has played intermittently, is going to be starting. Y.A. Black, who I think is going to be a very good football player for Iowa, but he doesn't practice in the spring, and he's still a young kid. Lucas Van Ness, as a three technique to me, is interesting. Uh, I, saw, I saw him at camp at like 240 pounds. But, like, I look at this Iowa D-line, where is the experience? Where is – like, I just think, especially a D-tackle – I like Van Valkenburg, he's a really good football player. I'm not going to deny that. 
but it's, it's everybody else on the Iowa D line where I look across and it's like, where's, where's Davion Nixon and Chauncey Golston going to come from, especially with, again, YA Black. Like I said, I think he's going to be a really good football player. I saw him. I, I mean, he is physically incredibly gifted. He doesn't get any time in the spring. Now he's listed as a starter alongside one-time Minnesota commit. Uh, no Man, Shannon. Do you, know, do you know how many times as an Iowa fan I've heard, how are they going to replace A.J. Epinesa? How, they, how are they going to replace Anthony Nelson? How are they going to replace Chauncey Golston? I have heard this for eight years straight. Let, let's look at the Iowa, because another thing that we put on there is, or another quote that you had on there is. I'm talking um, about. 21 team where I list off my reasons and you're just going to tell me, well, history is going to presumpt it. Yes. Because coaching matters, Ryan, coaching and scheme matters. You're talking about a three technique. This is what Iowa does. They recruit thinner guys. Their three technique is different than every other person's three or not. Every three technique is the same. Okay. Iowa has made a living off of recruiting defensive end type of guys turning them into tackles, their three technique is to shoot gaps, get between the, the, uh, 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 their gap technique is to shoot gaps. And that's how they create havoc. Look at the film last year. Mo Ibrahim had nowhere to go in the first half. They made a pile. And by the way, Zach Van Valkenburg that you're so easy to just toss aside was the big 10 defensive player of the week versus Minnesota last year. You know, I can see your ears are opening, but are you listening? Because I have said multiple times, Zach Van Valkenburg is a really good football player, and I'm not just tossing him aside. I'm tossing aside per se. I just don't think the rest of the Iowa defensive line with YA Black in year two, Lucas Van Ness, I think, is in year two, and then I think Noah Shannon is year, Noah Shannon year three or year four. It's weird because of the COVID thing. I know. So, okay. John Wagner. Like, I remember the John Wagner recruitment. That was a weird one because when it got to the end, there wasn't a lot of cards left on the table. Like, you, I understand. I look, I mean, I know as well as anybody, you look at the offensive and defensive line NFL statistics. Like, Minnesota hasn't had an offensive lineman drafted since, uh, I think it's 2006. That's a disgrace. It's 15 years where Iowa and Wisconsin are putting them into the year, into the league every year. But I look at this Iowa D-line, and my point I'm trying to make, I think they're a year away from being what you're accustomed to. Okay, okay. So so the, I understand what you're saying. It, I want to make sure I'm articulating the point that I'm trying to make here. Okay, the last uh, uh, three years, okay, so go, starting in 2020, going back to 2018, 10th in the country against the rush at 107 yards per game, 12th in the country at 112 yards per game and 16th in the country at 118 yards per game. Now, before that, there was a step back. They were roughly called the three years before that. We probably were right around averaging 30th in the country against the rush, probably about 130 yards per game. Do I think it could be closer to the 2015, 16, 17 stats? Yes, but it's still going to be a defense that's probably in the top quarter of the country against the run if that's good enough to win football games so my point is do i think we'll be a top 10 against the rush defense next year no because we do have a lot of turnover at the defensive line but the coaching and development by phil parker and our defensive line coach 
it's still there. The techniques are still there. Coaching matters. These guys have been getting reps. Reps. Um, we are very excited about YA Black. Noah Shannon has gotten reps. You're completely uh, forgetting about John Wagoner, Logan Lee, Logan Jones. These are all four-star recruits that have been behind really talented guys. It's their time to step up. Now, do I think we're going to have issues uh, creating a pass rush with just our front four? Yes, that's the part that I concede the most. But going from roughly, you know, or going from 10th in the country against the run to I mean, what do you predict? 60th, 70th? How, how far of a drop in rush do you think we'll be? Like, I was back seven is tremendous. But my point I'm trying to make is what if they become, oh, I don't know, 35th to 40th against the run? Because they, yeah. they continuously are losing at the point of attack. Because they're a year away with these guys in their you know second and third years, per se. Well, you look at like, the Iowa offensive lines of the world. And again, you keep bringing up the Minnesota game. I, I don't know why, because we both can agree. Iowa absolutely kicked the living snot out of Minnesota. Like, I, I'm well aware of that. But that's, that's not the point I'm trying to come back to here. It's just that, again, you look, like Noah Shannon played 90, let's see, Noah Shannon played 160 snaps last year, third of the snaps. Like, you have a lot of green bodies there. So if they continuously, or I shouldn't say continuously, if they lose at the point of attack more often than what they're used to. And yes, you have obviously very good linebackers with Seth Benson. And then I'm sure you're a big Jack Campbell guy and think he's going to be really good this year. But like the back, I mean, the secondary is really good. And yeah, mat- I mean, Ryan, that matters. You literally just talked about, right. you know, seven starters that, that and, and I, I totally understand that a D line, you know, a, a good D line is going to help any back seven improve. Okay. But I have also seen Iowa defenses that are starting really new and green linebackers, literally miss plays and miss tackles. Our defense got better last year when Jack Campbell came back from mono, it was a better defense when, when, he, when he's in there, it, it's, it's a team game linebacker play 100% matters. And it's a, that's a big deal that you're just glancing over. Mine is, is getting swallowed up up front against, you know, some of these, like I think Iowa state's projected to have a good offensive line in Wisconsin and the linebackers immediately have guys in their face. And then again, I, I saw it all of last year with Minnesota's defense. When you have a bad defensive line against the run, it doesn't really matter how good your linebackers are because they have guys immediately in their face and then you're counting on safeties to make the one-on-one tackle in the box. So what happens if the defensive tackles for Iowa aren't tremendous? And again, I'm talking about Iowa taking a step back from great against the run to, you know, say above average at that 40th spot compared to in college football. Again, I'm not saying Iowa's going to be a bad defense and you're getting all worked up about that. I'm just telling you, Defensive line is probably where, of all of my Iowa takes, where I would plant the flag that I just, like, it's Van Valkenburg and then of a bunch of unknowns that are in their second and third years that I want to see it. Because, yes, I think it's Neiman who's the linebacker, or no, it's Benson. It's Benson and Campbell, and you got your back, all your secondary guys returning. But I've seen, as you know, like, where does the West get one? Get one in the trenches. And that's where, especially on the defensive line, if Iowa, if, if Noah Shannon and YA Black and John Wagner and all these guys come out and play really well, sure. Like, as you mentioned, the Iowa system has worked. You know, 
I'll come out and admit it. I mean, what, I don't know what you all want me to say, but like, that's where you can see, hopefully from an outsider's perspective, where it's like, there's a lot of experience departing. And especially at D-Tackle, I think there's a lot of things that need to be proven there yet. Which is literally what, I, what has been said about Iowa's defensive line three times in the last seven years. And, and somehow we've magically always been able to reload the techniques and the schemes that our coaches preach transfer over year after year. Again, I'm not saying Iowa is going to be 10th against the run again this year, but the, the drop back to me won't be enough to, to drop the defense as much as you do. And if that drop happens, okay, <laughs> I, I do think having quite possibly the best back seven in all in, in the entire Big Ten definitely plays into that. I think we've got something like 36 starts uh, or six, no, 65 starts in our secondary, 65 starts in the secondary, a group that needs to communicate and talk and know where the other guy's at as much as about any other position group on the field. I think that matters a great deal. So now we're going to, I'm going to blow your mind here because this is my take that I think is equal to your take on Iowa's offensive line. Okay. I'm not that impressed with Minnesota's wide receivers. They have been incredible the past two years. We saw a drop down when uh, Tyler Johnson left. And when I put on the game film last year, the only two people that were providing offense in the first half for Minnesota was uh, Tanner Morgan squeaking through and, and, and using his legs, believe it or not. And then agent zero on, on third and 12 plus getting open because he's a freak show. Okay. I very much like Chris Ottman bell, very much like I would take Chris Ottman bell in black and gold in a heartbeat. But do I think Chris Ottman bell is in the same vein as the last two stud wide receivers have been Minnesota? No, I don't think he's that good. I think he's, he's very solid. After that, we are talking about, other wide receivers that admittedly we've heard good things about. I, I, I know that PJ Fleck can develop wide receivers, but I haven't seen that either. I, I haven't seen those guys. So why wouldn't I doubt that just like you're doubting Iowa's offensive tackles and defensive tackles? I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to nitpick one thing about Minnesota's offense, I mean, it's gotta be the pass catching. I mean, without a doubt, I'm with you. I don't think Ottman Bell, is a bona fide NFL guy. I think he is a very good contested catch winner. I mean, I think some of that has to do with his lack of separation at times, but he knows how to come down with 50-50 balls. He's proven that over the last three years. But, I mean, to your point, I get it. I mean, Daniel Jackson was a true freshman last year that played. They're expecting things from him. He caught, I think, 12 balls last year. But, I mean, if you want to compare the two, I mean, if you want to have, you know, like Tyron Tracy's production compared to Daniel Jackson's, I'd say they're similar. Um, you know, Minnesota's got absolutely nothing out of their tight ends since PJ Fleck has been here. And that's, it can't happen again. And that's where I, you know, I expect there's a kid by the name of Brevin Spanford, who is now in year four here. I think anybody who's ever listened to me before knows I'm a big Brevin Spanford guy. I just, I, I see the physical talent. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, but he's a gigantic question mark because if it clicks, I mean, I think it clicks big, but if it doesn't click like it hasn't the last two years because of nagging injuries or whatever it may be, I mean, that's a big problem. 
because I think the things that Iowa and Wisconsin's offense, or excuse me, Iowa and Minnesota's offenses that are there, what they're going to be facing are similar. That the MO for opposing defensive coordinators, we're going to stack the box, make the passing game, prove it. And that's where I think Chris Ottman Bell has proven more than anything Iowa has there. And then, yeah, it's, it's a question mark. I mean, I have questions about Minnesota's, um, you know, fast catchers there. So, I mean, I just think that when you look at the passing game overall, that's where I, I am more optimistic. I don't think Tanner Morgan ever returns to what that production was in 2019. I think everything came together there with NFL receivers and, and just really good. I think Kirk Scirocco was an incredible game planner, but again, that's where it's going to come down to for both Iowa and both Minnesota, where whatever passing game can have their guys finally get open because that's going to be the MO. I think we can both agree is you're going to see seven, eight in the box and yeah, you know, two very good running backs there, but if there's just going to be eight guys in the box, the whole game, eventually you're going to have to be able to complete some of these shots. I mean, I agree with all of that. And that's why I guess I was surprised when one of your takes, even on this podcast was just, who is the threat in the passing game? I mean, the two threats in the passing game, we have, we actually have three threats in the passing game, Tyrone Tracy, Jr., Sam Laporta. And the one that everybody forgets about our running back out of the backfield who catches passes all the time. Mo Ibrahim does not, that is not in his toolkit unless it comes out. Athlon has wide receiver tight ends for Iowa ranked ninth and Minnesota eighth. It's just not as enough of a separation for me for you to use that as a point of contention. I think Minnesota is looking for playmakers just like Iowa is offensive lines. I think are both going to be very good. I obviously, I mean, we we're very high on, on Minnesota's offensive line on, on the eyes on big podcast. There's a, there's an advantage at quarterback for Minnesota. Heck your backup might be better than our starter. And I'm a big Zach Anikstead fan. Okay. Like he is really good. I just, I think the offense that Minnesota's I would nudge to, okay, being better because because of Tanner Morgan, but it's such a whitewash on the other side comparing the defenses that I don't think it's close. And then do you want to get on the other third part of the of the teams? I love talking Minnesota special teams because they're <laughs> horrible. I mean, I can't – I cannot – I mean, I cannot for the life of me understand – how Rob Wanger, Minnesota special teams coordinator, still has a job. I mean, <laughs> I got pictures. He's got pictures of Heather. That's the only like, thing we've been able to been able to figure Australian out. Like Iowa takes an Australian punter, Minnesota takes an Australian punter. Your punter is incredible. I am incredibly envious of what that punter was compared to Minnesota's. Now, I mean, if you want to play the flip side of that, you know, why was he bad? Well, he did get COVID like the week before the season didn't have any time. Like, I, I don't know. The kicking game is an abomination that they're hopefully fixing with the max special teams player of the year and Matthew Trickett, the return game. I have no answers for because it's horrible. Like here's the stat of the day for you with how bad Minnesota's return game is. They have a running back by the name of Cam Wiley who returned yeah. 11 kickoffs last year. He lost 94 yards of field position on 11 kicks. Like that's, horrible that's the you're starting at the 16 compared to the 25 yep. that can't happen so yes i mean without question i think i was replacing their kicker so i mean that'd be the about the only thing i have i think was it charlie jones who's the good returner for you guys yep yep 
So yeah, I mean, without question, I mean, I, I have, I have no words left to say about Minnesota special teams, but that's where, again, I think the margin for error, which is the overarching point of how we got into this was the eight and a half number. Like, I think both teams obviously have questions. And I mean, we could do a whole nother segment about Wisconsin's questions to me too. Cause I think hey, the West, I know we're great. not going to get into that, but like I, mean, the, the, I think the West is more open than what that cleveland.com poll said, where it was Agreed. like 29 for Wisconsin, six for, you get Iowa had the remaining votes and then it was, you know, Minnesota, Northwestern and, and Nebraska. But I just don't see it. And I think, and that's what we kind of ended with on that is I don't see it as clear cut, like, here are the top two teams in this tier and then the next three teams in that tier. I think it's more gray area than what people are going to assume because then it comes back down to how much of 2020 do you take anything from with all the COVID cancellations and the no off season and the and canceled games. And again, Minnesota's three and four. Yeah. You know, they blow a three score lead on the road against Maryland. They're four and three. And then they choke against Wisconsin. Now, there's a reason Minnesota's one and seven against Wisconsin and Iowa. There's a reason why they're 0 and 4 against Iowa, or excuse me, 1 and 7 against Wisconsin and Iowa, 0 and 4 against Iowa in the Fleck tenure. And that's where, I mean, I tell you, if there's any game that Minnesota's got circled this year, that the staff has circled this year, that the players have circled this year, it's, it's Iowa because they're tired. Wait, wait. Time, time out. It's Iowa? Or should I take all three timeouts yeah i mean obviously sorry that's that's the best way that's the best way i could work that in there i mean so my point being is obviously the staff has got the iowa game uh the minnesota staff has got the iowa games uh circled after that after two incredibly tough road games again i'm not saying minnesota is going to be favored by i mean 20 something crazy i mean odds are that the 22 year streak continues to 23 if, if Iowa is everything, again, that you think they're going to be, I just think that it's going to come down to the trenches for me. And if, if Iowa proves in the first, what is it, the eighth? I think they have eight games before Minnesota, nine games before Minnesota. I mean, there's a gauntlet before that. There's a lot of good defenses and a lot of good offenses and a lot of good football teams they're going to go against. And if Noah Shannon and, and John Wagner and Y.A. Black and Lucas Van Ness and this Iowa defensive staff, because that's honestly – where I think Iowa's got an advantage is you look at the game plans. If you, you know, you've talked a lot about Iowa drumming Minnesota last year. Iowa's game plans against Minnesota specifically the last two years, just because they're fresh in my mind, have been tremendous. Like you look at that 2019 game offensively, they kicked Minnesota in the mouth for the first 20 minutes. And that won them the game because then Minnesota figured it out defensively and then offensively. They couldn't figure it out. And then last year, Iowa comes into TCF Bank Stadium, is up 35-0 on them. For whatever reason, and it's probably why Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa program has been so successful for so long, they are tremendous at exploiting Minnesota's strike or weaknesses, that is, whether that's offensively or defensively. Now, I mean, I remember back to, I think it was the 2018 game, where um, who was the big defensive end for Iowa? I think it was a Timber Bay Buccaneer. Anthony Nelson. He literally got – he got an all-conference because of what he did against Sam Schluter in one half where he gets four sacks, benches Sam Schluter at half, and then the Daniel Falele regime. I mean, he – Iowa has whipped Minnesota up front for, for too many years, I think Minnesota fans would tell you, and that's where I just see them this year 
between Iowa and Minnesota, I think they're on the same tier. And I think it's going to come down to on that. I, I would imagine it's probably going to be a night game. I mean, which way too soon know. to possibly know that, but like, it's going to come down to what offensive and defensive lines want to show up because I think that's where that game's going to be won. Plus if Minnesota's coaching staff can just figure out, because as you know, I mean, you played there. Iowa does what Iowa does. They don't change it up on any given year. Like they may tweak some things here and there, but you know what the Iowa's defense is going to look like. You know what Iowa's offense is going to look like. So can Minnesota now in year five under PJ Fleck, is this the year they finally figure out that it's not all voodoo and magic down there in Iowa city. Like they're going to do what they're going to do. You just have to be better, which is obviously incredibly tough to do because Iowa has been so good for so long and especially in Iowa city. I, and that's where, again, that's where it comes back down to that eight and a half number and that seven number, you know, it's going to be interesting to see as that schedule plays out, you know, what question marks were, I mean, cause again, Minnesota's defense was horrific. We've talked about that. Iowa's defense definitely has the advantage, probably certainly has the advantage in special teams, but it's going to be how improved is Minnesota's defense? Because yeah, they returned 10 starters, but they returned 10 starters from a defense that was bad. The thing that actually matters. Yeah. The thing that blew my mind, by the way, when I did my stat dive. So Minnesota's stats, total defense 72nd last year. Their offense was 69th. Scoring yeah. defense, Minnesota was 70th. Their offense was 71st. Those stats were way closer than I thought they were. We'll, Kurt and I will deep dive them more. I mean, there won't be much more to talk about after this. But um, I, one thing I want to go back in so we can bring Kurt in, I feel horrible. But now that I've done deep dives, I mean, I've already known Iowa. Uh, but now that I've done deep dives on Nebraska, Northwestern, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, 100%, I agree. I believe there is a there is an order that I've got in my head between one through the five teams I just listed. But I hear it. Good. Well, I'm not. Oh, I'll say this. I'll say this. The five. The five. The five teams that I believe are there in alphabetical order, if I can do it off the top of my head, are uh, Iowa, Nebraska, Northwestern, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Those five teams are in some order going to be one through five. The The difference between the one and five team is there's a difference there, but between one and two, two and three, and so forth, it is razor thin. So I completely agree with you, Ryan Burns, just to prove that I can do that before we get off the podcast. That the people, uh, that that many voters um, picking Wisconsin, but kind of like the all-conference thing that you don't believe in, the voters just walk in and vote. The, the PFFs of the world and whatnot, I think they see that there's a, it's pretty close but the, for between the teams of the Big Ten West. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's going to be the thing is, you know, again, I'm sure you guys will get into it. Like, I watched Nebraska last year lose to a Minnesota team that was down between injuries and COVID, like 30 guys, and had no business winning in Lincoln because Adrian Martinez couldn't complete a forward pass. And now who is – and, then again, I think that's like the theme of the Big Ten West for offenses is who can complete a forward pass. Like is Grant Mertz going to be what we saw in September where everybody was talking NFL draft, like number one pick in 23 or whatever? Or is he going to be a pumpkin like he was at the end? Iowa, the same thing. Minnesota, the same thing. Northwestern – 
forever is just going to have this offense that is just completely diseased, but their defense is so tremendous it never matters. And then the same thing goes for Nebraska with Adrian Martinez being a question mark and then no more Wandale Robinson plus the mass exodus that is the Nebraska passing game. I th- and that's where it's going to be a fun year, I think, in the West because I think November is going to matter. Like, it's going to matter for a lot of football teams. You know, it's going to matter for Minnesota. It's going to matter for Iowa, Northwestern, you know, Wisconsin, and, and, and Nebraska. And that's what's going to be fun about it. Now, again, I don't think Minnesota's going to win the West. I mean, for as homerish as you may think I am, I, I, I certainly don't think that. I, until Minnesota can prove that they can beat Kirk Ferentz, and that P.J. Fleck can do it, that he can do it consecutively against Paul Chris, I mean, what's the point? Because – my biggest concern would be if I'm a Minnesota fan, and I know I'm kind of going in the way back here, but that was a really good Minnesota team in 2018, right? You don't win that many games without being good. Uh, beat the breaks off Auburn, and I don't cheer for Minnesota very often, but I promise you I was cheering for Minnesota versus Auburn in that ball game. But you couldn't get by Iowa, and then even worse than that was how bad Wisconsin beat y'all in your – on your field at the end of the year. That is a metal block that's got to get over. I know they beat Wisconsin on the road three years ago. I get it. Um, I don't know. That, that's something I think about. And there is a little bit more that I need to see from PJ and the staff and a consistency basis before I could pick them to win the West. Oh, yeah. I mean, you should be. I mean, that's the same, it's the same way I feel is if, if Minnesota is going to take that next step, and really get into that Wisconsin and Iowa tier every single year where they could have a chance in the West. Well, you got to beat the people that matter in the West because you mentioned it in that 2019 team. They lost. Those are the two losses, your two biggest rivals. Like, yeah, you beat Penn State. You beat, you know, everybody else handily in October. You beat Auburn. But, like, Minnesota fans care tremendously about beating those two teams. Those are barometer games for Minnesota, especially here in year five. Like one in seven, I've talked about it numerous times on the podcast here for PJ Fleck. Like they have to at least split this year. I think that's without question. Because as you mentioned, it is a mental, maybe it is a mental block where, you know, that game in Iowa City, Minnesota can't finish it down the stretch. You know, that Tyler Johnson drop at the goal line was killer. Um, you know, I'll, I'll forever remember AJ Epinesa single handedly winning the final drive there. Just I will too. Destroys. Uh, Minnesota's offensive line but I think that's like you go back through the years I mentioned uh I think it was Anthony Nelson was his name you know he destroys Sam I mean that's been the key is Iowa's D-line has just whooped up and just destroyed Minnesota's offensive line and that's where I look at the question marks that I have for Iowa's D-line this year and again I know you don't agree with them and then I look at Minnesota's you know offensive line again I don't know that's my question with this offense is can the offensive line specifically, where they got, I believe, 134 career starts between the, my projected five starters there with Schluter, Olsen, John Michael Schmitz, uh, Blaze Andrews, and Daniel Falele, is this the year they take it or at least match what Wisconsin and I would do in the trenches? Because they have had no issues against the Purdue's and the Nebraska's. Um, and, you know, the versus, but they have versus Northwestern and, you know, we definitely can't forget about them. Like uh, even if Minnesota goes one and two versus Iowa and Wisconsin, 
the at Indiana is still a conference game. It counts in the standings. And then obviously at Northwestern is just going to, is going to be just as tough of a game for Minnesota. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's an offense for that, that offensive line uh, for how many talented defenses. I mean, I think there's a real possibility between, I mean, all the teams we mentioned there that there's probably a chance they all could be top 30 defenses in the country. I mean, that's a tough bet. I mean, it certainly is, but is this the year? Because if it's not this year for Minnesota's O-line, when is it ever going to be, you know? Yeah. When is it ever going to be? I mean, I heard you say that on the pod. Like, I I understand that, but um, there's so many factors at play, and and I – it could still be a very, I, mean, I believe it 100% is going to be a very good Minnesota offensive line. It's going to come down to play calling and those four or five plays a game. And it, it, we'll see if this is the year that Minnesota can do it. Well, yeah, the close games last year, they were dreadful. I mean, the kicking game went into that. Uh, Minnesota, or PJ Fleck loving to play Jim Trestle ball, which, you know, for your listeners who don't know, essentially just run, run, pass and play as conservative as you possibly can, which, Makes me pull out this luxurious hair of mine, apparently. But, I mean, there's going to be a lot of close games for Minnesota this year. And it's going to come down to what separates them. Well, special teams usually helps or hurts you. Minnesota special teams the last few years, it has hurt them. It cost them two games last year. Or, you know, they played a large part in overtime kicks where they missed. Um, you know, is this the year the kicking game can figure it out? You know, is this the year that Minnesota in the fourth quarter, like they did in 19, was able to put the, put the game away? In 2020, they couldn't do it. That's why, part of the reason why they were three and four. So, yeah, I, I just think that as razor thin as it is for Iowa for that eight and five number, and again, that's the number I'm trying to prove. Like eight, like if Iowa goes eight and four, it's still a good year. But again, that's where that eight and five number is the arbitrary one I keep coming back to with that margin of error thing. To so, be honest, I thought it would. I thought it would be an eight. I was surprised at the point five, to be completely honest with you. Um, It'll be I interesting. Yeah. Um, hey, Kurt, how, how you doing? He's <laughs> still there. You guys are doing great. I, this is my, this is my favorite podcast I've ever done. Yeah, I, uh, it's I do. To hear the other side of it, because again, obviously, we don't agree uh, on certain things. But again, I can see where you're coming from, and hopefully, you can see where I'm. I'm coming from it's just you know that's where it all comes back down to you know the, the, the focus of my argument is just you know the seven versus eight and a half numbers again there's a there's a scenario where Minnesota and Iowa go eight and four this year Minnesota beats theirs Iowa doesn't and again it comes down to to kind of how it goes but it's going to be a fun year in the west man and I think this podcast is going to cover it tremendously and trust me I cannot wait uh, to hear what uh, your breakdown, because I've been I've been checking the podcast link there to see if your Minnesota preview is coming out, and uh, it'll be interesting to kind of hear what you two have to think, uh, because like we like we talked about, I, I think there's just a lot of gray area between one and uh, maybe not one and five, but say like I don't know two and five. I, again, I don't know what to think um, about it. Because again, I think. 2020 it's tough to kind of extrapolate from because of a lot of different circumstances that the world and these college football teams were going through, but it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be a real fun year. And uh, Kurt and I will be at the Ohio state uh, Minnesota game. Uh, We ain't Ohio state or Minnesota fans, but we're college football fans and we're just geeked to go. Yeah. It should be an electric atmosphere. I was talking to the SID today about it. And I think it's very, very close to a sellout. Um, and they're expecting it to sell out here pretty quick. I mean, 
it's going to be an electric atmosphere. I mean, and that's something that I just missed because covering college football games last year in an empty stadium with like the, the forced music and the forced crowd noise, it just was, especially for 18 to 22 years. Again, you're a former big 10 football, but you know all about the atmosphere and how much it helps these kids. And it's just like, it was so weird last year. Curtin. Kurt and I were at the Iowa-Minnesota game, uh, so to help with the cold and lack of excitement, we just forced alcohol down our throat, and we wound up having a pretty good time that day. But, yes, the uh, the general lack of, of excitement in the uh, stadium was definitely felt. So, again, this, it'll be interesting for, for Iowa, for Minnesota, for all these teams, because, you know, I think that I, I may, there may be not a, a Big Ten game again. I would say a Minnesota game that I'm more looking forward to to kind of get a barometer for both teams than that Minnesota-Iowa game because, you know, that Iowa team is coming off, as we talked about, tough road games in Madison and Evanston before Minnesota. But Minnesota, as you mentioned, it's been since 1999 since they've been able to win in Iowa City. And then and, – and don't – and maybe this can bring Kurt in, um, you know, at Northwestern, and then they got Illinois before Iowa. My guess is, is Beetle – still has a little bit of hatred for the Gophers left in his belly. Go ahead, Kurt. Uh, so he, in case you don't know, Ryan, he's referring to Bielema when he says Beetle. Oh. <laughs> now, I mean, I just feel like everybody hates P.J. Fleck in Minnesota at this point. Like, I, I get it because, you know, they hate Minnesota because of P.J. Fleck. Which, again, I get. Trust me, within five seconds of hearing the guy or meeting him, you're either going to love him or hate him. I just, I mean, I, I don't necessarily love him or hate him. I just think what you see is what you get with P.J. Fleck. And it's, I've never met somebody like that before. Like, in my, now nearly 29 years on this planet, the energy is there all the time. And it's, I mean, it's genuine. It's just like, that's so much energy all the time. And that's not Paul Christ. That's not your guy, Beetle. That's not Kirk Ferentz. I mean, it's the polar opposite, which I can definitely see why everybody clashes with it. And well, they broke euthanisms and all the different things that come along with row the boat and elite and all those different types of things. I, I get it. Trust me. They definitely broke the mold after they made PJ. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. You got any, uh, you got any hot takes from a referee point of view um, from Ryan and I in the earlier part of the pod? Well, I, you know, I took some notes. I don't know that we want to go over all of them, but right. just briefly of the schedule, um, I can see points for that you made, both of you, uh, looking through the Iowa schedule. So they're at 8.5 for their win total. And I see five games they should win. And, yes, I'm including Purdue in that. I know some Iowa fans may think that, that I shouldn't, but I'm including Purdue. And so then you've got seven games left. If I look at those seven, they're all going to be tough games Winnable games, though, four are away and three are home. So to me, I shade under for the Iowa 8.5. Going over to the Gophers schedule, Ohio State, I think they do have a shot to beat Ohio State, but let's be realistic. They're probably going to lose to Ohio State. Um, maybe, maybe 20. I mean, maybe. What percent? Um, 20 is probably a good number. Yeah, I think, I think they'll hang with them. And I, I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to get blown out, but I think at the end of the game, it'll probably be like a 10 to 14 point game. I think that Ohio State probably runs away with it. But, you know, you, you probably got to chalk Ohio State up as a loss. So then you got 11 games left. 
Again, I see five of those as games they should win. That leaves six. So they've only got to get two more wins for a push. So to me, I shade over for the Gophers uh, total. Which is funny because that basically sounds like you're shading Gophers to eight and four and Iowa at eight and four. Correct. So Ryan alluded to. I mean, that's a that's kind of exactly what I'm saying is I think that uh, Vegas looks at these two teams and sees them as a very close matchup head to head. And I think and again, you had mentioned it earlier, Greek, uh, the fact that Iowa gets Minnesota at home. I think that's a, a big that makes a big difference. That's probably a half game difference right there. Well, if they're both eight and four, you know, it all comes down to what in the world is Wisconsin at this point. I mean, history would tell you, especially recent history, probably nine and three, um, you know, 10 and two. Say they are nine and three. Well, if they're nine and three and Minnesota's eight and four. It turns out that last game of the year at now Huntington Bank Stadium instead of TCF Bank Stadium is going to be important, which I hate the Huntington. Yeah, nobody does. Nobody likes that. Doesn't it, roll off the tongue like I got, TCF. I got to just. I gotta just commit to calling it the bank because I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying that. That's, I think that's what most of us just call it. Yep. Uh, hey, real quick, Kurt, do you think Iowa will do pretty good against the run this year? So you know, I, I certainly uh, sympathize with what Ryan's saying about losing a lot. Um, I do. I'm not sure. I, I kind of like Wagner though, maybe a little more than than you're giving him credit for. But I've I've kind of fallen that trap before. So. I do think Greg has a point about the schemes, the coaching. I'm not too worried because I've just been wrong in that, in that same situation before. And kind of the same thing with the Iowa offensive line. I think they'll be fine, but going over to Minnesota. Yeah. I look at their wide receiver group and it doesn't look great on paper, but I trust PJ Fleck to coach wide receivers. So I'm, I think, you, you made a great point, Ryan, about who has the best passing game could be the one that emerges. And for me, I see a lot of positives for Minnesota as compared to the, the other four teams you guys are talking about in terms of the passing game. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to give Minnesota an edge on any of it, I think it would be wide receiver coaching and probably development, especially under P.J. Flight compared to what we've seen. Um, with Kirk Ferentz, because I think Amir Smith-Marset, again, he's a Minnesota Viking here. I've heard reports about him in practice, and that's where it's like, I've heard some people say, how in the world couldn't Iowa use him better, um, you know, at Iowa? Now, I know he was also a bonehead uh, for some of his off-the-field stuff, but I, I think I think it's important that, you know, the whole against the run thing. I mean, I, I need to know from, from you, Greek, like, what is considered pretty good? I mean, you think I think pretty good to me is a top 25 you know, run defense where I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying they're not going to be close to that. I just think that there is more of a plausible scenario than you do that maybe because of that D line, they're in that, you know, above average to good range in that 35 to 40 against the run. Now, again, I know the linebackers and the the back four, five, there are really good. It's just, we're going to find out, you know, and I also think it's important to give context too, because, you know, Wisconsin running game right now is not what it was five years ago, because that's another big, you know, I don't think Wisconsin's got an NFL back right now. And, you know, Northwestern's running game is anemic at best. Purdue refuses to run the ball. Um, you know, North, I think Nebraska is going to be breaking in that USC transfer. So, I mean, and of those teams, it's like Minnesota in that instance, maybe the team that's most committed to running the ball. But again, 
I mean, Iowa's back seven there, you know, if you're not going to run the ball, it's going to be like, well, you have to pass against that back seven. And I know that I certainly don't want to, you know, it's going to come down to them that pass for us. So, I mean, to you is pretty good, you know, top 25 or, or, or what would be, I guess, an arbitrary number statistic for you? Kurt, go ahead and you answer. I was going to set the over under at 24.5. Are they going to be top? Are they going to be better than that or worse than 24.5? I think that's pretty close to where Vegas would put it. Uh, another way I would look at it is against the Big Ten West brethren, where do I think they'll rank? I wouldn't rank them any worse than the third best rush defense in the Big Ten West, and I feel pretty confident about that. Yeah, Purdue's defense stinks. I think Nebraska's is improving. Minnesota's was horrible. I mean, you mentioned last year. You didn't even use my favorite bad Minnesota stat last year. What's going on? I think they were number one in the country, yards per carry to running backs. Going into December, they were averaging over eight yards a carry to running backs. That's horrible. Like, and to – but I think they'll be better. I mean, I just think they'll be. They'll I think be they'll be better, but I don't yeah. think they'll be better than Iowa. I mean, could they be? I mean, maybe if, you know, Joe Rossi is the, is the second coming of name your favorite defensive coordinator that you love. Bill Parker. There you go. <laughs> and then you got Wisconsin's defense, which I think is probably going to be number one. Northwestern's defense, I don't, I mean, historically, under Fitzgerald would tell you it's going to be pretty good. Don't say uh, anything bad about Northwestern, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I saw a Greek tweeted out everybody's favorite uh, Venn diagram. Yeah. yeah. Again, Northwestern to me is just a complete enigma this year because of everything they lost. Um, but and that's what makes the West fun this year. So sure. I'm not, I don't think I was going to be a terrible football team. I know I said, I think you quoted me saying, um, what was it, last week, seven wins. House gets me worked up. And when I get worked up, I say things. And so now that I've obviously had, I, I mean, I've been worked up plenty, plenty on this podcast. Trust, trust me, I, I think I proved that I can get worked up too. So it, it happens to the best of us. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, I mean, Kurt, how crazy would it be? I mean, I shouldn't say crazy because I think you just proved that point five, 10 minutes ago here is, I mean, I think there is a realistic, I don't know that it's the median outcome, but eight and four for both teams. And then it comes down to, well, what was your eight? You know, what was, I mean, for Iowa, how did you do against, um, obviously, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Northwestern? Same goes for Minnesota. Because I think we both agree, you know, Illinois, first-year track record of head coaches in the Big Ten, not great. Well, I guess if we're going eight and four, um, you're already chalking up Iowa with losses versus Kent State and Iowa State. So I guess we only got two losses in the Big Ten. We might be an Indy, baby. <laughs> I, I will be interested to see like you mentioned the Kent State offense there you know it's been prolific on paper but again going into again as someone who has covered Minnesota now for 10 years I've spent plenty of time in Iowa City watching an offense drowned down there with everything so close to the field and and how it just changes down there for teams and Kent State defense is horrid it's horrid like that, that's it's good. gonna be all right I'm, I'm just saying like i'm interested to see how that offense does because i think it'll be a good barometer sure as well the first two games because again will michael Pinnix be back we don't know i mean we'll find out here in a couple weeks and i need to see the Ames jesus beat the old man first i need to yeah. see it i haven't seen it and i think that's fair too i i just think like it's going to be an interesting year for both teams and again if it's eight and four at the end of the year 
you know, again, again, I can talk, I'm sure we could both talk ourselves into, including Kurt, where, you know, Wisconsin's defense with Jim Leonard, I think is going to be really good. But again, the story of the Big Ten West this year to me isn't the defenses necessarily. It's what offense can score enough points against these defenses to actually win the football game. It's a good, it's a good way to flip it on its side. Um, unfortunately, I think Wisconsin will be just fine along the D line, which means the entire defense will click again. Their linebackers are incredible. Um, I don't think Graham Mertz is going to be the Graham Mertz we saw versus Illinois. That was a statistical anomaly. He only gets to play Illinois once this year. I don't know (laughs) if you guys noticed that, (laughs) but I also think his, the disruption they had and then the injuries they had at the pass catching position it's not it, – it's going to be somewhere in between when the offense looked pretty bad and when it was absolutely on fire versus Illinois. It's it's going to be fine. Yeah, and it certainly could be, and that's where – it's interesting. With uh, You mentioned Wisconsin's D-line, and that's where, you know, our, our Wisconsin 24-7 guy, Evan Flood, I think he got – talked to somebody on the Wisconsin staff, and that's where I think that Jim Leonard said the big question mark for us is the defensive line and the defensive tackles. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, again, I think they're kind of in the same boat that Iowa is where they've got, you know, highly touted players there, but they're young. And it's like, when does it click? Does it click in year two or do they need kind of a year of seasoning before they start to click in year three? And, you know, we haven't even talked about like that was part of the reason like Iowa was heavily exploring defensive line and the transfer portal. And, you know, you don't look after in the spring and offer guys in the spring in the transfer portal if you feel good about a position. And that's where I think Iowa offered um, two or three transfer guys. I don't think they got one. But, again, that's where it's like they understand they're young, they're inexperienced there, and that's where it's going to come down to, you know. Is it going to click immediately for those guys? And if it is, I mean, watch out in Iowa City. But, you know, if it takes a little bit, you know, it'll be just – I just know from that defensive staff, the second they are going to – they get uh, together in the fall – the first thing that staff defensive staff is going to talk about is we stop the run at Iowa and that's where it's going to start. That is going to be the number one thing they focus on. It'll be the number one thing they work on and, and they will get there because I've just seen it too many times at, at Iowa um, to think anything different. Um, Here's a question I just thought of, and maybe we can kind of bring this together and, and put a bow on it. But I'm curious as a Minnesota fan, Ryan, what do you think about having what I've always I've known him as Beetle for 30 years, Bert, Brett, whatever. What what do you think about having the ex Badger coach back in the division coaching at Illinois? It was weird seeing how immediate things say that much, just especially supporting uh, Illinois of all teams. I think it, I think it's going to be interesting because he's going to try to Wisconsin. Illinois and bring that model, um, you know, to Illinois. And I don't know that they're going to be able to get the bodies to do it. And, you know, with Wisconsin, you know, signing, you know, Wisconsin and to a lesser extent to me, Iowa, you know, they don't recruit, they select on the O-line or at least here in the last few years. And I don't think you're going to, you don't think you're going to get to select at the university of Illinois because they struggle in the state there. And then if they're just consistently winning somewhere between, you know, four and six games, like it was under Lovey Smith, it's like, 
well, why wouldn't you go to Wisconsin or Iowa in that instance who put guys in the league every year on the offensive line? Because again, I look, I mean, I look at that the whole team and I'm just, I'm just skeptical that he's going to be able to, you know, I'm going to create a verb here, Wisconsin Fi, what he's going to want to do there. It, it is going to be interesting. And by the way, you know, the, the Minnesota fan, you know, I am so at this point now, like incredibly indifferent. It, it's, it's really kind of taken the fun out of it where, because, you know, you've seen so many things now and like, I want Minnesota to do well because obviously, you know, I like covering a good football team. We've talked about the lead off how Minnesota sports has been a complete abyss my entire life. Like I want to get behind something there. And it's just the more time passes and the more time that to me, I'm just around it. I just become, I think less emotionally attached to just the reality that usually is Minnesota sports. So I think Minnesota sports is literally making me become a robot at points. <laughs> so I just want, I, you know, you, what you just said about Vilma is the exact, that was my exact philosophy. I, I didn't see the point of trying to beat Wisconsin, Iowa at their own game. Right. So I, I, ne- I always wanted Illinois to go as far out of that box as possible to hire. Like w- one that really stuck out to me was I watched Hawaii in a bowl game a couple of years, Nick Rolovich running the true old school run and shoot. And I'm like, maybe that's it something that nobody does, but then you kind of look at Brahm and what he was doing and that petered out real quick. And then you look at someone like Scott Frost, who's now transitioning more to the traditional big West power football. So I don't know, maybe the only way to do it is to try to beat them at their own game. I don't know the answer, but I, I certainly sympathize with your thoughts there. The The one thing I'd want to add is, but Illinois wasn't too far off the past three or four years. Okay. It's not like they were Rutgers under Ash bad. I I just feel like sometimes that's what it's made out to be. They weren't that bad. Now they actually have a coach. I, I, and, and to use Rutgers again, we saw how much better Rutgers was going from Ash to Shiano. I'm not saying it's going to be that big of a leap because lovey is a better coach than, than Ash was at Rutgers. What I'm saying is guys are going to be lined up in, in correct spots more. They're going to have a more conformed, like coaching matters, you know, game plan matters, technique matters. They're going to get that at Illinois. I can assure you many on the Iowa staff wish that Lovey would have stayed there forever, you know, and, well, and couldn't you say that about the previous four Illinois coaches though? <laughs> potentially, potentially. Yeah. Well, it's Iowa and Wisconsin. You know, why have Iowa and Wisconsin been good forever? Continuity. Like Wisconsin's had like three football coaches my entire life. Iowa, how long has Kirk Ferentz been here now? Like 20 something years, right? Like 24, I think. 23. Yeah. Again, and that's where you look at Minnesota. I mean, turn it's been four or five years new guy, four or five years new guy. Like I look at the Tim Brewster years, he had a brand new offensive coordinator every single year. How in the world? Can you expect an offense to potentially ever get better when you're constantly changing things on 18 to 22 year olds? And Bruce that's never, I, Brewster never got your chili hat, Ryan. What? You didn't, you didn't want to see the patch from the Rose Bowl there sitting in the, uh, sitting in the football complex there. I, I, by, I the way, Brewster. by the way, Ryan, you're welcome. He's an Illini. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for <laughs> everything that entailed Tim Brewster and, 
That was just a dumpster fire of a, uh, that's a, that's a whole different discussion. But I mean, I think that's part of it is, you know, these West teams outside of Iowa and Wisconsin are just searching for their, for their Kirk parents, for their, you know, Paul Christ or Barry. Don't forget Fitzy. Don't forget Fitzy now. Yeah. And, and Pat Fitzgerald again, Northwestern has won the West how many times here in the last five years. So I think there's a lot to be said for just continuity. And that's what, you know, I was had for so long and these teams, that have been competing and winning the West, what's the theme? Continuity. They have the same guy there. They have the same system there. How does Iowa become tremendous at defense year after year after year? Because they've been doing it for 24 years. So that's where somebody, I swear somebody said that in, in an earlier part of the podcast and it definitely plays in. I mean, it's a, it's a big part of they've, they've been there. They've done that. Um, they've seen different, styles of offenses and defenses like experience matters maybe coaching it, it that uh saying applies more than any and so that's where it's going to be interesting now because this is as much continuity as minnesota's had in recent memory for me you know fleck in year five the entire staff was back um, you know hopefully you know if you want to be the optimist guy for the minnesota case like we've talked about like Offensive coordinator Mike Sanford in year two knows how to what makes Tanner Morgan tick. He knows hopefully that PJ Fleck won't trestle ball it up, and that's how you get to that eight and four. All right, for the first time uh, ever recording on Zoom, I got a warning that basically says we're we're running out of time. Um, we could we could keep talking and talking. I mean, Ryan, hopefully we can make this somewhat of a a yearly thing to get you on. Um, hopefully you had have as much fun as I did when we were talking. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Like, I know we're on, I'm sure on time, but again, that's where I can, you know, this was a healthy discussion. I think, I think I get where you're coming from. I think you get, and then I think, Kurt, thank you for uh, listening. Cause I can imagine that was probably horrible to watch and listen to, but you know, it's interesting to kind of get the different viewpoints for me because yeah, I don't know Iowa football as well as you do. You know, you probably don't know Minnesota football as well as I do either. And that's where, it's interesting to kind of see it from the other side and kind of use that going forward. So I appreciate you having me on, guys. I'd love to make this a yearly thing. Uh, I cannot thank you guys enough. Uh, so once again, that was Ryan Burns with 24-7 Sports. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on. I am Jeffrey the Greek, And I am Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We will talk to you soon. Yeah.